Discussing Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek podcast. Today, we're here to review Season 3, Episode 7 of Star Trek Discovery, Unification 3. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence. I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the Who Story himself, Cal Jones. How are you doing, man? You know what? I'm doing a very good tonight. My replicator has made me key lime cool whip pie, <laughs> who, who pro- so I'm who, happy. Who pro- that programmed that in? You know, I don't I don't think that's a, a Starfleet regulation uh, uh, food there. <laughs> it is. It may not be now, but it is 930-something years in the future. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> also on the podcast, we have the Trek historian, Jonathan Shorts. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. I, uh, unlike how my replicators were broken a little while ago. So I've decided that I'd enjoy some of Neelix's Leola root salad. Oh, cool. <laughs> With black beans and corn. Well, you know, Neelix's food is oftentimes hit or miss. So I hope you got the, the better end of the stick on that one. Well, let's just say I'd rather have God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that bad, huh? <laughs> No, it's good. It's very good. Oh, man. Uh, You guys can support the show by subscribing, leave a review or telling a friend. If you have a review idea, please send that in along with anything else you want us to know or review or talk about to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or at DiscussingTrek on any and all of the social medias. In news and updates, anything from you guys? Well, this isn't exactly the news, but it may be news for people who get CBS All Access through an Apple TV. You guys have mentioned previously when we're in our group chat about the trailers for the next episode. And I've been scratching my head like, what are you you talking about? Oh, is this on YouTube? And Clarence, you made an interesting point of saying they're at the end of the story. Well, I found out this last week by watching all the credits, Apple TV does not show the next episode trailer, which I know that's really inconsequential, but I just found that interesting that one version has the, you know, the teaser trailer, the other version doesn't. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. Um, you think that would all be baked in together? <laughs> Cause I mean, after, uh, on CBS all access, it's like, immediately after the episode ends trailer then closing credits so it's even before the closing credits interesting yeah it's weird that they would take it out i'm sure apple has some kind of fee program you can buy and get it <laughs> no one apple that's the point who knows hmm who knows well doctor who's that's, that's another show i guess on bbc america they cut a lot of things out that we talk about all the time <laughs> yeah true so yeah. So, guys, we're going to go ahead and get right into our review of Unification 3. Unification is the seventh episode of season three of Star Trek Discovery. It aired on November the 26th, 2020, and was directed by editor turned director John Dudkowski in his debut directorial uh, episode. Again, he was an editor. He, he uh, edited many of the Star Trek Discovery episodes in times past. The story is written by Kristen Bear who has written many other Star Trek episodes, including episodes of Discovery and Picard, and who was also a prolific Star Trek novelist. Now, if you've been following our reviews of some of the comics, you, especially in the Star Trek Discovery uh, universe, um, a lot of those are written or co-written by Kit Kristen Bear, which is pretty interesting. And, you know, she's written quite a few Star Trek, Star Trek Voyager novels as well. 
So I'm going to get right into it, guys. While grappling with the fallout of her recent actions and what her future might hold, Burnham agrees to represent the Federation in an intense debate about the release of politically sensitive but highly valuable burn data. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle station. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. And Cal, before I get you to give your beats of the episode, I'm going to hold off on you just a second because the name of this episode is Unification 3. So what I want to do right now is I'm going to point to John to see if he can give me the beats of Unification 1 and 2. Unification 1 and 2 is pretty much a bad father-son relationship, a high-level defector and Romulus. That's that's the <laughs> But I mean, to go into a little bit more detail, we find out that Spock, what Starfleet seems to believe, Spock has defected uh, to Romulus, and they fear that one of the highest-ranking, most beloved ambassadors of Starfleet, who have pretty much all the classified information that they have, has gone to Romulus, which is not part of the Federation, and. Basically, his main goal was to unify Romulans and Vulcans back to one race as they were hundreds of years ago before their separation. So that was pretty much unification one and two. Of course, we throw some issues with his father, Sarek. They never really talked, but you get some of that in Discovery of Why. And that's pretty much it. Doesn't Sarek die in that episode, if I remember correctly? He does. Yeah. And then in a previous episode, he and Picard had mind melded. So basically, Picard knew all his memories. So that makes that kind of extra special that, you know, he's there to to investigate what's going on with Spock. But, yeah, uh, I feel like those are great two episodes. And, you know, we have the apparently the third <laughs> iteration of that. What, 30 years later? Yeah, think about that. It's like the trilogy, like the final of a trilogy 30 years later. That's insane. That's crazy, man. That is crazy. But very much involving, you know, those same factions and, you know, a new twist on the story as well. And, you know, a long lost heir to boot. So, Kyle Jones, would you give us the beats, the sum up summary of this episode, Unification 3? Okay, so I'm going to say, well, I had originally said I was going to only have three words, but I'm going to say that I'm going to change it a little bit. My original three words were Mama Don't Play. That was just all I was going to say. Mama, don't play. <laughs> I love it. I think you I stop it. right there. That's great. <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop right there. Mama, don't play. Oh, my God. <laughs> so good. Well, with, with that, let's go ahead and uh, I'm going to throw to you, John, and just go ahead and give me your high-level view of this episode. So, first of all, let me say I'm glad I was right. Okay, explain. How were you right, sir? The first officer situation. Mm, say it ain't so. <laughs> yeah, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. So that was that was that was you know that started it off great for me. Uh, number one, uh, number two, man, just overall a great episode. Uh, and then we get another classic trick episode with a a problem presented, uh, a way a fix presented. They tried the fix. It worked all out in the end. Nice little bow. I loved it. I loved it. It was a great classic Star Trek episode. We did get a surprise that I was not expecting. 
and massive tie-ins throughout oh, the episode. So good. So good. Yes. yes I had yes. the whole back some man tears in this one, man. I must admit. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. That so that was one thing I was gonna say. It, it was a couple of times I teared up there. Like I it was good, man. Yeah. It, this was a good one. Cal Jones, high level view, man. So my high level view is, and you guys just took what I thought was a guess on my part and made it reality. And what I mean by that is there's certain episodes of any show that are monumental and will be 15, 20 years down the road. People will refer to those episodes similar to what you guys referred to Unification 1 and 2. This is going to be one of those episodes because as I was watching it, the whole stories unfolding and I'm thinking people are going to look back at this and say this is when fill in the blank so that's my high level this was a big episode yeah it certainly fell in the range of you know the more things are different the more they stay the same and all of the ties into things that we've seen before episodes that we've experienced before this large overarching history of the Star Trek universe they're bringing all of these nuggets in to the story to where it all makes sense. And they not only meet those references, but they extend them to some new, some new uh, mythology or new uh, storylines of their own. So man, I loved all of the tie-ins like, like we said a few, a few seconds ago, just, you know, holding back the man tears. And, you know, it reminded me a lot of that Picard episode. And I know a lot of people hate Picard, but I like it. But there's a moment in Picard, I think it may be episode four or five, where he's looking at Lacutus in the view screen and you kind of just get that numbness of like, oh, dang, he done been through some ish. <laughs> I kind of got that feeling, you know, a similar nostalgic feeling with this episode with some of the imagery we had, imagery we've had in it. So, yeah, just a wonderful way to tie in things we've seen from the past and, you know, push us forward in a new direction. And also, you know, um, a lot of opportunities to maybe conjure up some more theories of what the heck is going on with the tech and the burn and, um, you know, what factions may have caused what. So, man, so many things in this episode that on the face of it is pretty, pretty much a simple episode, uh, if you think about it. But let's get into it. Burnham's been relieved from her first officer duties, you know, moping around the ship, all melancholy and stuff. <laughs> we start the episode with her self-reflecting to, you know, see if she even belongs on the ship at all. Looking for us, we'll get those questions answered by the end of this episode. It's kind of a thing she's been going through since the beginning of the, since her year long uh, in the future by herself. To my defense, I want to say this first as John was talking about his prediction. I said to my defense from the last episode, when I said Burnham got demoted, she even said she got demoted in this episode. So I felt good about that. You know what? When she said that, my first thought was, man, Clarence is going to get me on that one. But in my rebuttal defense, (laughs) when Tilly was talking to Stamets, she did say, I only outrank you by position, not rank. So yeah, I think Burnham just used bad, bad terminology. <sighs> but she did say she's in charge of them. Basically, she's their superior right. officer. So you know that's a promotion. So John, you did mention that you like the new, dirtier, grittier Michael Burnham. Uh, <laughs> have things played out so far as you thought they would with the the grittier? dirtier michael burnham 
<laughs> you mean Sasha from The Walking Dead? <laughs> hey, she doesn't have that rifle, so I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to call her Sasha just yet. Oh uh, man, no, they have not. Like, and kudos to the writers because because they keep us they keep us guessing and keep us on our toes. Like, I I I I, I like this dirtier, grittier Burnham, but I was expecting the the writers to use that in a positive way. And but uh, we she's being conformed back to the Burnham we know. And I guess that's kind of a good thing, because, you know, at this point, this season is all about the ideals of Starfleet rebuilding Starfleet. Like, what is Starfleet if we can't make an officer like Burnham remember why Starfleet was important? Yeah. If she would have just ran off and, def- and not defected, but just ran off and went on her own thing and stopped and then then it's kind of like, what's the point of Starfleet? You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. if Starfleet can't keep her on their side, then there was no hope. So, I mean, kudos to the writers for doing it that way, but this is definitely not what I was expecting. I thought she was just going to be a bad A with a good ship and not with Starfleet, and she's getting things done when Saru can't. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Kyle? Do you think uh, it played out how you thought it might with the, the gritty Urbana? I'm I'm thinking, yes, I, th- I think it played out how I thought it would. And I really don't think even though she thinks she's back, I really don't think her story is fully done on whether she's going to stay or go. And I'm going to say she's going to go at some point. Interesting. So you don't think it's full circle quite yet? Mm-hmm. No, I think she if I were to make a prediction, I would say she and book will ultimately i'm not saying go off into the sunset you know but they she will be spending more time with him and i think she will eventually leave uh at starfleet hmm. or maybe serve as some type of ambassador role or something interesting like like for me i feel like the show has done a great job not only with burnham but with all of the other characters of putting them through a, a fair amount of turmoil as we get to this future. You know, every, like my friend says, oh man, you're going through something. <laughs> Everybody's going through something. And Burnham, you know, is no exception. I mean, even George O is no exception. And I just love how we get to see them work through, you know, this is her working through her year long you know, uh, 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 by herself or with book in the future, she's finally working through it. And I think we're going to see that, or we are seeing that with each and every character on the show, we see, we're seeing them work through, you know, their, uh, being in the future away from loved ones or having gone through things to get here. You know, each of them are working through their, their, their different problems, you know, at different degrees. You know, I think we even see Tilly work through it a little bit in this episode, but I do I do like how they have kind of it feels except for that one episode where, you know, Colbert is giving the long speech. It's felt mostly organic. But but, yeah, um, I'm loving I'm loving it where they have have wound up with Burnham, because I think that's the Burnham I personally want to see is is the one that's adhering to rules. And, you know, that's the the guiding light for Starfleet. So this romantic encounter First off, let me say, uh, book has the most baller ship in any science fiction show ever. I'm just going to get that out of the way. 
<laughs> that is awesome shit. But it's so cool. But are we are we supposed to supposed to think this is their first romantic encounter? You know, after a year long of gallivanting across the universe, you know, having their own little tricks or schemes to get out of situations. We're we're supposed to think this is their first time being romantically involved, or am I just reading I, I that wrong? I didn't think it was their first. Time. You didn't? No, no, not at all. I was like, oh well, they're back together, kind of thing. <laughs> what about yeah. you, Jim? Well, I'm with you. Like, I, I, there's no way in my mind. I'm like, there is no way you guys spent a year together and didn't make use of that holographic bed. <laughs> but. <laughs> I think the I think the writers kind of want us to think that this is just a newly found deeper romance, but I mean, you and I both know we all know <laughs> you, you put a good looking woman in with a man, and it's only it's a matter of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like so, yeah. It, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we see Burnham talking to. She goes to talk to Tilly. Tilly confirms the time variance in the black boxes. So Burnham's theory seems to be very solid, you know, very thought out. And, and John, we mentioned this in a pre-show, but the Easter egg we get from the first black box, the USS Yelchin, and that is uh, Anton Yelchin. I think that's a reference to him, who is part of the Abrams first movies or the Kelvinverse movies. And unfortunately, you know, he uh, died a few years back and then very tragic. I think a car hit him or something. But yeah, it's very tragic. And, you know, it's a good shout out. Um you know, uh, they're working in they're working in Easter eggs in this season, and I was very happy to see that one. And a couple of Easter eggs just kind of referenced loosely the the Kelvin timelines. You know, it's I mean, you get the the Yelchin. I mean, you get that number one and number two. The whole well, I guess we're jumping ahead a little bit, but the whole Tilly promotion thing, like you know, that's kind of how Kirk came to be, like. He was in the movies, in the Kelvin timeline in the movies, he was a cadet that was placed as a first officer. Yeah, when, yeah, true, uh, true. When Pike had to leave the ship and then eventually he became. So, I mean, it's not the first time that a lower ranking officer was thrust into command. Yeah. So and he was lower. I mean, at least Tilly is ensign. I mean, Kirk at the time was a cadet. So and I mean, not, nothing like that has ever happened in the normal canon, but. I mean, it's just nice that they're kind of trying to tie in the movies a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you can even you can even possibly go a bit further. You know, we talk about Spock's mission to uh, Romulus for Unification 1 and 2. But if you go a little bit further in the whole premise of the Kelvin movies, as uh, Ambassador Spock is trying to prevent the Hobus um, star from exploding and destroying Romulus, uh, that's kind of what kicked off the whole Kelvin movies in the first place and kicked yeah. off. And the premise of that kicks out why Picard is even, you know, doing what he does to get thrown out of Starfleet and Picard. So it's all kind of tied in, which I thought is really cool. And, they, you know, they're mentioning that Spock died here. But, you know, what I think they're leaving open to tie in more. I mean, what we find out in Kelvin timeline is Spock fell into a black hole. Yeah. Yeah. And disappeared. So he didn't really die. Now, they here in Discovery, I don't think they know that yet. And it'd be nice if they tie that in. Yeah. Oh, man, I want to get into something about that as well as you uh, some of the Romulan warp technology. But we'll get into that a little bit later because I'm, I'm a little confused on some things. I need you to need you to clear my thoughts here. But <laughs> for me, one more thing I had in mind is that it was really weird to see. I, I think we do see a change in Tilly. I think she's a more serious Tilly in a way. 
we see where she's not furious, but she's a little upset or chastises Burnham a little bit for putting her in, you know, position to have to confide or have to tell Saru um, that he should turn, you know, tell the, the uh, Admiral what's going on. And, you know, I just really love Tilly going uh, just going from this overjoyous, <laughs> silly person to being a little bit more serious. And I'm wondering if we're going to get a lot more of that. But I want to ask you, Cal, like, do you do you even like this a bit more serious Tilly or is that just too off brand for you? I like it, but I don't like it. Does that? <laughs> yeah, no, I get so, it. So let me elaborate. So I like about, I like the fact that it is allowing the character to grow. I don't like the fact of it didn't feel organic to me. Yeah. It did, but it it just felt forced. Even though I liked what happened, I just felt that there had to have been somebody else on that ship that would have had a little bit more credentials than she did. Not disrespecting her character in any shape, form, or fashion. And I know Saru trusts her, and maybe that's the overall bottom line here. But I don't know. I, but ultimately, it's going to allow the character to grow, and I guess that's needed. So I guess I just convinced myself that was a good thing. So <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, uh, even even Stamet says it's deeply weird and disturbing. But for me, once you get past the primary job for the first officer and i wrote this down so number one is to take the place of the captain if something happens to the captain right you know <laughs> that's first and foremost but if you look at somebody like Riker or chakotay specifically you know look at the other duties you know is running make sure the ship is is running smoothly everything is operating correctly day-to-day -day responsibilities meetings and things like that and i think i think she would be good at that stuff it's just the taking command if saru's out that scares me but we do know she's got command in her and she's seen that. So maybe she will mirror herself <laughs> a little more. She'll look in the mirror, uh, no pun intended and kind of, you know, uh, rise to the occasion. And I, you know, I think, I think it's a perfect for this particular crew. Like, I don't think she really has to be that person, you know, like, so for Chakotay, for instance, and Voyager, they had to mix in a Maquis crew with Starfleet, and it, it, that would have been a complicated thing for anybody, and I think it took Chakotay doing that, so his skill set would have been a lot more, and he's had the training. He went to Starfleet Academy. He graduated. You know, he had yeah. that training, but he he needed to have it. But Discovery, from all that we've been, to, been through, and the crew is just set up like she doesn't have to be that person. Yeah. She just needs their respect and they need to follow orders. She knows. And I think what makes a great captain is being able to make a decision that's best for the ship and Starfleet. Yeah. Regardless right. of personal feelings, regardless of small things, they needed somebody to look at the bigger picture. I don't see anybody else on that ship that would make those decisions that way. Hmm. Like if it was Stamets, for instance, maybe Stamets could be that way. But what if it was a decision where he had to destroy the spore drive or uh, Cobra was involved and he, he had to sacrifice him? Like, I don't think he could make Good that decision. Point. Tilly could make that decision, just like she made the decision to tell Saru that Burnham had left the ship. Yeah. And Burnham is her closest. Right. So who else on that ship would make that decision? 
And in this time, like we noticed, everybody's having these issues with this whole time jump. But Tilly and Stamets are probably the most stable ones mentally right now. Yeah, I can agree with that. And we just let's face it. We just know nothing about that chick that they keep throwing in the chair. (laughs) (laughs) Well, another thing you made me think about, too, is that I think one thing that makes it okay as well is that on the whole, the bridge crew that we all know is relatively young. Right. Even Stamets, he's older, but he he doesn't look that much. Older, you know what I'm saying? From a visual point of view, everybody looks to be about the same age, pretty young, you know. So in that aspect, I don't think there's any seniority there that would make it make it that weird, at least at least on a bridge, because, you know, the ship was an experimental ship at first. So they probably put a lot of, you know, cadets and younger officers on the ship to begin with because it was an experimental ship so that's kind of just where they are at this point but yeah i mean if you had people like we had none if none was still there she wouldn't be first officer you know that's probably why they got rid of none <laughs> you know right. so, so it's i don't know i think i'm down for it but it's going to be interesting to see how it changes the character until he did start her command training and i don't think any others really went through a command training I mean, she didn't finish, but at least she did some of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So let's go ahead and move along. You know, they talk about the black boxes. She sees the variants in the three black boxes and Burnham brings up the opportunity for more data. And she brings up this experiment, SB19. Um, So when this whole conversation goes on, there's some huge revelations here, especially when she goes back to Vance and and, uh, uh, Saru. So first we learn that Vulcan is now Navarre. And that the planet is populated by both Romulans and Vulcans. So I think we may have brushed on what that means to the franchise just a little bit when we talked about Unification 1 and 2. But just an interesting dynamic. Because even from what we got from this season of, of Picard, I don't know if I really ever foresaw that they would all be on the same planet living, I'm holding quotes here, peacefully. Uh <laughs> You know, I, I just from Picard, I kind of just thought the Romulans were going to do their own thing on their own planets. Uh, did this revelation surprise you? I mean, sans the title. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, no. I And I felt like at some point they would eventually end up back together because, I, I mean, they are the same people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the only difference is the mind, the mindset. That's the only difference in them. Like Vulcans decided to suppress emotions and Romulans didn't. I mean, that's the basis of it. There's a lot more go into it. But at a certain point, you tend to we tend to flock together as people. Yeah. Mm. A quick uh, little Easter egg on this particular part. Uh, So the planet is called Navarre. Uh, We sing. We heard this word before on an Enterprise episode called Shadows of the Fajim. And that's when the Enterprise encountered a Vulcan ship named Navarre. Oh. So Navarre, so there was a a fan-written magazine, or they call it Fanzine, I've never heard of it, uh, called Spacanilla. <laughs> and the writer came up with a word, and let me look it up again, came up with the word Navarre, which she claimed was a Vulcan word that referred to two forms. Interesting. And that was in 1968. So definitely makes sense in a larger scope of what's happening here. You know, two forms of the same race. I loved this probably a little bit more as far as the story goes, 
because I was not as familiar with the backstory, even though I've seen the episodes, I've not gone back and revisited them. So I think I may have gotten a little bit more enjoyment out of the story for itself without the knowing slash emotional context of the ship of the story. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I, I certainly get that. And, you know, I'm going to bring up uh, some Whovian stuff here. You've mentioned, especially in New Who, um, the several, it's been quite a, f- quite a few times at this, at this point, but those times where we get those flashbacks of the classic doctors in, in New Who, you know, it gives you all that nostalgia and, you know, make, solidifies it for you in a lot of ways. And in some senses, I think that's kind of what we got here. You know, even though we've seen Spock in Discovery already, uh, a version of Spock anyway. But, you know, I think these flashbacks of seeing Leonard Nimoy on screen in hollow form just is crazy. <laughs> it's just crazy, man. Crazy. Good. It was. So I'll take it in the same but just a little bit different direction. You know how I've made reference to. You know that the doctor, even though when the doctor regenerates, if you have a companion or a former companion, see that version, this new version of the doctor and accept that new version of the doctor, that is sort of like the passageway for the audience in some way to accept. I see this as that exact same thing as what I just described. You had Spock, original Spock. You had Michael Burnham. And she looks at him and says, oh, this is my little brother. I oh, thought that was beautiful. Man, surely was, sir. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so, again, I mentioned this this Navarian Navarian experiment, the SB-19. So I want to throw it out there. Do you do you got I mean, we got a little image of a gate looking thing and it's supposed to be a way of going to instant warp. Any any clues on how this thing function or does it even matter at this point in the story? Because it reminds me of a few things in science fiction I wanted to bring up, but, but I'll just throw it to you guys first. Does it remind you of any, any other thing that you want to bring up or you just didn't care too much? What The first thing I thought about was obviously Stargate, which yep. I hadn't really watched a whole. I watched it a long time ago, but I, but I mean, it's basically the same pr- premise with were these gates that could instantly transport you across the galaxy. Uh, so. I, I mean, we're it's all conjecture here. You don't well, they still didn't really allude to exactly what it is. But what I also know is and I don't know when. So we know when you get to the TNG time, you know, Romulan ships are powered by what they call a quantum singularity. Yep. Uh, so I'm another thought I had. Maybe they found these singularities throughout space and put something in the ship to react to the singularities. And maybe get from one place to another, and it went bad. So, I, I, I mean, again, all conjecture. I have no scientific evidence of anything <laughs> one way or another. But I mean, that that's the two things I thought about. Yeah, I was. Like, how did you have? Before I go into no, no, my no. spiel, no Stargate was what I was thinking. Yeah, I, I definitely thought of Stargate, but I think it all makes sense. So, if we go back to how Spock wound up in the Kelvin universe, he was using his red matter to try to to stop the Hobus blast from destroying everything that created the wormhole. Well, we know uh, the Romulan ships are powered by what, what quantum singularities? Is that the name quantum, of it? Yeah, quantum singularity. And and I feel like you have the, the melding of these two people. I feel like somehow the Vulcans and the Romulans worked working together to use quantum 
singularities to make this gate travel and fall into the purpose as a wormhole, right? Or some type of wormhole. So I think this is my prediction. I think somehow this is going to tie into, and maybe this is influenced a little bit by the next own, which I could be totally wrong. Here. I could be totally wrong, <laughs> but I, I think somehow it's going to tie into, uh, we've heard bizarre exchange. We know there's a wormhole at Bajor. I, I think somehow it's going to tie into the founders and along with the prophets. I just have a feeling something, something about this singularity creating these wormholes may cause ire among the prophets or something. I don't know. Hey, <laughs> you know what just popped up in my head? <laughs> and we say this all the time through here, but this actually fits more than any time else we've theorized this. The Omega particle. Hmm. So we know when Omega explodes, it destroys subspace and warp travel. Warp travel is impossible in that part of space. Which they mentioned in the first episode. Um, uh, Book mentions that uh, of the Orions creating wormholes and destroying subspace. Right. So maybe this is where the Omega, because I mean, when Janeway runs in it, you runs into it, you know how big of a deal that was like, only the captain can know, and she must risk everything. Like, that order supersedes any that she has to destroy, no matter what. Like, it's a big deal, and they said something happened in the past where scientists were experimenting with this, and they didn't say what the experiment was, and it went terribly wrong. Hmm. Hmm. Just saying. Yeah, I don't, I'm not, I don't know if I'm sold on the mega particle. I think it might have something to do with it, but I think definitely it has something to do with wormholes. Uh, the creation of wormholes. That's just my guess, but who knows at this point? I don't think we have any really good clues except that one hollow image of that gate-looking thing from SB19. It's really all over the place. (laughs) But we do know from the next on that we're going to that planet, uh, which is also, I read this a few minutes ago, Book's home planet. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so interesting stuff, man, all around. So, let's move on a little bit. Michael Burnham is coming. <laughs> oh, Vance. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about Tirana, president of Navarre, of Navarre. And before we get into the call in kit, Tirana, Tiriana says the Federation has gotten too big. Remember worlds will stretch beyond capacity and comfort. Any, any thoughts on the Federation becoming too big? Didn't they mention this before? Or I'm misremembering. Not that I remember, but I'm. It's a good possibility they did say this at one point. Yeah, and that, and it's just weird to see how much the Vulcans have changed in these thousand years, where she's saying they're getting, they're, they've learned to let go of their maxims and proverbs, which that is almost blasphemy when you think of, of the Vulcans <laughs> of times past. Uh, that is really weird to hear, but, you know, they've melded into a new type of people. As we see in this episode, different cultures kind of interweaving together as, you know, melting pot. You know, I keep going back to this 930 year difference. And yes, this is toward the future. And we would think everything will be more advanced. Hopefully, you know, it will be. But if you look back at our past for 930 years, you know, I'm sitting here thinking we use indoor plumbing. (laughs) You know, you know, simple things like that that would have been unheard of 900 years ago. Yeah, so. yeah. No, it's, and it's funny. It's it's so many things about this episode. I I try not to project too much into real life on these episodes. 
But it's so many things about this episode that make me think about real life. And I won't talk about anything specifically, but these are two people that came together. There was an event that happened that is so, so shameful. They don't even want to talk about it. You know, <laughs> it, it might break them apart just to talk about the event. What's the real truth here? They don't want to get to the real truth of the event. So I found all that fascinating. Let's go ahead and get into Burnham's thoughtful, which I thought was at, at very first was a very thoughtful introduction to Tiriana that basically turned into an act of defiance that she invoked to call Enquette, which is a philosophical process designed to unearth deep truths an engine of early Vulcan scientific advancement. And with this process, they get an advocate and let's, let's just go into how this ties into Picard and the Quat Malad. And it, I know you guys have to have thoughts on that and seeing Mama Burnham, Gabrielle Burnham come in as the advocate of, of as a Quat Malad. Uh, any, any thoughts on that and maybe how it ties into Picard and absolute Kendor and, you know, Jonathan, your favorite fighter in all of Star Trek history. <laughs> he was anyway. <laughs> so he started getting his butt whooped. <laughs> hey, I liked him or I like him. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, he's still a good character. He just can't fight. <laughs> Okay. Hey, you want some fight wharf, man? Come on. <laughs> Hell, he's going to die. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, that, that that this was a, a shock. Like I there is no reasonable way I could have come up with her mom was going to be a quad malot. Oh, so good. None. Like we were tr- I think we talked about that like I hope they Put, I hope they bring her back the right way. Yeah. And what other way could it be? And that only problem I've had with this, and maybe, and it's not really fully explained, but I mean, you're to assume the quad lot, like they have to spend quite a bit of time in the order to be to get to the, where they're being sent on missions. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. How much time did she spend with them, and how did she get that? Well, we know it's at least been a year, but it could be longer. Who knows when yeah. she uh, dropped out of the. When she popped back, I mean, it should have been exactly 930 years, but, you know, who knows? <laughs> well, yeah, that, that that was just shocking for me. I, was, I wasn't expecting that. And maybe a little bit more on how it turned into her being Burnham's, being Michael's advocate. And just maybe about, uh, any any feedback on maybe the tough love that was given from her, because she really... To me, she really had to do her. To me, she's a true Quat Malat. I feel like she's a true Quat Malat and, you know, absolute candor. And as part of doing her job as the the um, advocate or the chassette for for Burnham through this uh, to call and Kit, she really broke her down to the bone. <laughs> and and that is hard to it's hard to see, but like a lot of the things that are cathartic in this season, it had to happen. Like the Thanksgiving dinner was horrible. It felt horrible, but it it was catharsis. It had to happen. And right. and even though I feel like Burnham had to go through, you know, her mother that she hadn't seen in forever, you know, um, since she was a little girl, pretty much just torching her. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it had to happen. And I think ultimately it, it, it helped her, you know, get that information that she needed by the end of the episode. Any, any thoughts on the teardown, the breakdown of Burnham from Mama Burnham Ooh, there? Yeah, absolutely. You ready? Go for it. 
Mama don't play. <laughs> Call back. <laughs> All I gotta say. Yeah, mama, mama didn't play. That's that's for real, for real. <laughs> but you you know what? Like I think this was perfect. I would have had a problem with mom coming back and being mom all of a sudden. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. is just that relationship wasn't there for her to advise Michael and get her through things. And because that, that relationship has never been there. Yeah. But because she was quite my lot and because of absolute candor, Michael accepted it because it wasn't necessarily coming from her mom. It was coming from what the quite my lot is. And she had to accept that. I don't think her mom in herself could have broke Michael down in that moment. Yeah. Because Michael wouldn't have responded. She wouldn't have the authority to. Right. And the the sure fact that the whole reason the Quatmalot are, are bind themselves to someone is because it's a lost cause. <laughs> and she sees that this this attempt is a lost cause to get it through the proper channels. But mama know best. She sees there is possibly another way if if Michael is able to break down to the bare the raw truth uh in within herself, it could it could bring the the president of of uh Navarre along with her to possibly get the information anyway. A few things about this. I loved I loved, you know, the quorum. And I have to give the actor for Vicar, pure Vicar. He was freaking awesome. The young, the young leader of a sect of Vulcan Pyrrhus, the black guy, basically. Yeah. <laughs> he was freaking amazing. I think, uh, the elder was amazing too. Renog, I think is his name. Yeah. And Shira, she was good as well. But, you know, when you talk about yin and yang and different parts pulling and tugging, you know, I think I would, I liked it better that they went at three with three. Because in, in some cases, I feel like that's what, you know, the United States is missing a lot of time because we have two major parties, you know. Right. But the fact that there's three, it kind of balances out in a weird way. And I just like that dynamic a lot better. And and you have these three people coming from very, very different backgrounds. I mean, Shira is there as kind of the Romulan Vulcan look forward person to forge a new path. And, you know, again, Vicar is kind of the 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 Vulcan purist, which is that that's the portion that Burnham appealed to the most. And then you have Nimrog, who's just like an elder, given the wisdom of it all, you know. Um, so I just that dynamic just played beautifully in this, you know, courtroom esque scene, um, I just love how that played out. And you know what he kept reminding me of? I just kept thinking about Tuvok. Really? <laughs> yes. Like I, he looks very not because he's black, but <laughs> I know they all look alike. You know, but he, I mean, it just <laughs> he looks like it reminds like he could be Tuvok's yeah. like, ancestor. You know what I mean? No, no, long lost. Long, long, long. Yeah. <laughs> But I just love that, man. And normally I'm not like a court. It's not really a courtroom, but, you know, courtroom esque drama is usually not my thing. But, you know, I I felt like this was you. You you knew that they were never going to relent. And then you have the added dynamic of these two people who are trying to live harmoniously on this planet, this renamed planet. And you have this one event, this SB19 event that could possibly divide them all. And that in itself, you know, in, in addition to Vincur's insistence not to let the information out, I feel like there's a lot more to that. I feel like there's a lot more on the, on the Navarian side that we're not getting. 
that hopefully is going to come out later. I think that's going to be a pivotal one to, to finding out what caused the burn. Absolutely. And I, I can't wait till they dig into this data. Yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah, that's going to really reveal a lot. And we, and we got what we hoped for. We were saying we hope they didn't drag this burn, the mystery out too long. Yeah. So I think this was a perfect time to at least give us a little bit, you know, sprinkle a little salt on it. We needed a little salt. Yeah. Yeah. And and real quick, we talked about already, but how Mama Burnham tore Michael apart. She she went back, man. She talked about the binary stars, you know, her being oh, relieved yeah. from duty. You know, <laughs> she don't know where she belong. But brilliantly enough, I think Michael did a wonderful job of flipping it on his head and mentioned that she's made mistakes, but it's always been in the fight for the greater good. And that's kind of the sense I've always gotten from Burnham. She's she's not perfect, but she makes mistakes, but she's always even some very bad mistakes, but she always has a good intention. And that doesn't that doesn't give it a pass. But I think you can look at someone's character when they're have good intentions behind what they're doing. You know, maybe they go some wrong ways, get that done and, you know, they pay for it. But but I, I, I never once believed that Burnham wasn't pulling for Starfleet slash Federation uh, in all her endeavors I've seen so far. And isn't that the ultimate question that they were asking, even though that that may not have been what they were asking? They weren't wanting to hear what she had to say. They wanted to know why is she there saying it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and she even proves that by withdrawing her request at the end, which I didn't see that coming. But, you know, that was the right move. She she didn't want to sacrifice the piece of these people over trying to find this burn that apparently nobody cares about except her in, in the right. discovery. You know, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I think we're wrapping getting close to the end here. I wanted to talk about Mama Burnham's wisdom because, you know, she was the highlight of this episode to me. And she said a few things that I thought were really profound and awesome. She said, duty and joy go hand in hand. Duty is there so you can continue to pursue your happiness. And joy is there so that you have something real to fight for. And she, um, and another beautiful statement. I can't be bound to you. You are not a lost cause. So freaking yeah, good. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was good. So freaking good, man. But I think the most impactful statement from her that I liked was when she told her, when she told Michael that she was going to be staying there on Vulcan. But she told her, now, I, she said, I've waited so long to say this, but you know where I am when you need me. Yeah. Like, and if you think about how, how I like, like you always, when there's no one else, you always turn to a parent. Yeah. And think about what she went through when that wasn't there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now she has that. Like, that was the best thing Mama Burnham could have ever given her. Yeah. Just the fact that, hey, you have somebody and you know where they are when you need them. She finally has her. She has some stability in her life, you know, and she's had that before. But it's different when it's your, you know, your mom. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's just different. It's just different. So. I want to ask you this, John. Um, th- does this episode reassure you that Saru is the person the Federation needs? And, you know, I said that in reference to how she, he's talking to Tarana and um, how he carries himself with kind of this ambassador role uh, to this this planet of people that we haven't seen in forever or the Federation hasn't hasn't been in contact with in quite a while. Uh, yeah, man, I, I'm. Even further proof. I mean, I, we said this a couple episodes back that, so you know, we were theorizing that maybe he'll become admiral. 
Like right now, Saru is exactly what we need. We need a basically a Picard. And yeah. here he is. You know what I mean? Like you need somebody that's going to be open enough to understand and accept cultural differences, but also someone who truly believes in the ideals of the Federation and someone who's actually trained to handle these diplomatic events. Yeah. Like Tilly would be the perfect person, but we know in a diplomatic situation like that, I don't think, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which may be one of her weaknesses as captain. But again, we said before, the captains really just need to carry out certain directives, certain certain missions like the admirals, I think, and ambassadors are the ones that should be handling these type of situations. And that's perfect for some. Yeah. Yeah. He had a masterful job. Like he's, I would like to say he's this timeline Spock. Like Spock was known for being his ambassador abilities to be able to solve disputes and go to other places and you know spread the Federation ideals and like that's going to be Saru. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And how can you not trust a guy with a walk like that? <laughs> man, that's just so cool. You're like, man, I like that guy. <laughs> he's got swag. Yeah. Guys, do you have anything else about this episode you want to bring up a shout out before we kind of wrap it up? Uh, just a small thing. We get Saru giving the uh, little Vulcan salute finger thing. Yeah. And I yeah. did some research. There's only been, I think, three other captains that's actually, that's actually seen doing that on screen. Really? Yeah. Do you so, know who they are? Uh, you got Picard and Kirk. Actually, I think it's just Picard, Kirk, and now Saru. Interesting. Huh. That's freaking cool. <laughs> so um, if nothing else, real quick, did you, well, Kyle, you mentioned the next zone. Did you see the next zone for this episode? I did, but I only saw it like briefly while doing something else, but feel free to go ahead and comment on it. Okay. Well, I meant the, 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 the book planet thing is actually in the description for the next episode, I believe. But, but uh, John, w- was there anything that you saw that may have given you a clue to what's going on with Giorgio? Uh, no, and I'm I'm kind of with Cal here. I I kind of briefly saw it, but I didn't. I was immediately making notes <laughs> when that ended because this episode was so good. So I kind of seen it, but not really. I didn't see anything that stood out. So for me, I'm and look at it again. Look at it again. I'm wondering if she's a a, a founder. And hear me out. If you look at the trailer, and it could just be some other weird thing occurrence, but there's a point where her skin is like uh, popping off her face. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, I did see that. I'm like, is she a changeling? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But then you uh, get you, you get some more uh, tear and imagery in that as well. So I'm I don't know, man. Man, that that will be an interesting twist, huh? Yeah, I need to watch it again, but that's kind of what popped out at me. Like, is, there, is she shape shifting, or is it just some something else causing her skin to pop off her face? I just kind of looked at it as like the same thing. Like the the aliens on the couple episodes back had this disease they were trying to fix, and it was causing them to kind of they're like phasing out a little bit. Yeah, maybe. but we but we know they're a different alien. Yeah, but I'm, I was thinking maybe the same disease. I don't know. Maybe. It would definitely be more interesting if she was a changeling. Because we've got so many DS9 references so far. And who's to say she couldn't be a changeling or or whatever you just said from the mirror universe? 
Yeah, right. true. That, you know, maybe she got reprogrammed or a sleeper agent. I don't know. Sleep, yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. And, and also, we don't know what, I think we mentioned this last week, we don't know what George O was up to with Section 31 before she came back to Discovery. Good point. To, to defeat Control. So, I don't know. Hmm. Time will tell. I'm still saying, though, like, and I think Carrie or somebody brought this up, like, they did make it a big deal that she had some of that goo on her shoes. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and they they hadn't really said much else about it. Yeah, man. Uh, dude, it's, it's so up in the air. <laughs> but I'm here for it. I'm here for it. We're, we're getting some answers. If, even though we didn't get a lot in this episode, I do like, we, we got a little bit more. We got the triangulation uh, of the black boxes and we got like a huge arc for a huge bit of satisfaction with Mama Burnham in this episode. So I think it's time where, you know, every episode, give me a win. Give me a win. I'm I'm, I'm here for it. Absolutely. I'm ready. Well, we're going to wrap it up, guys. Uh, let's go around a horn and get everyone's ratings for this episode. And this time I will go first. I'm going to give it a 4.9. Love the not five. I'm going to go to a five. I love this episode, man. I love this freaking episode for all the reasons we've talked about the tie in, the, the payoff. It, so, so many good things about this episode that I really, really love. And uh, Kyle, let's start with you, man. What is your rating for this episode? All right. So since this is Tuesday when we're recording this, which is normally discussing who, I'm going to say I'm going to give this five mama don't play out of five. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Just so I could say that again. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) What about you, John? Oh, man. Absolutely five. Absolutely five. From... Mama being Kwapmala and our tie-ins to Unification 1 and 2, like, just just that, just for them to have the idea to finish a trequel, <laughs> like, from 30 years ago, that got to be a five, all just, just for that. All right. Once again, thank you guys for your absolute candor, and we will go around the horn and see what everybody has been watching, listening to. Or whatever, podcast related or otherwise. And let's start with you, John. What you been up to, man? Uh, same old, same old, man. Just finished up the uh, season four of The Expanse. Uh, so that was really awesome. The season five starts in December 15th. So I can't wait for that. And they actually started filming season six. So Awesome. Yes, we got to get into that. Uh, number one. Number two, I'm still keeping up with Mandalorian. That's getting even better. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> yes. And that that's pretty much what I've been doing, man. Cool. What about you, Cal Jones? So, you know what? Since you guys keep mentioning Expanse and I have heard uh, you guys talk about it over and over, I actually started watching it, not realizing I had seen the first two episodes and had not, but I'm about five episodes into the first season now. Um, interesting. Yeah, um, it's it's a slow burn, the first season. Yeah, I, I remember you saying that it was a slow burn, but um, I do think the, the imagery is great. And, yeah. you know, it, if you guys keep talking about it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let it slow burn a little bit more and see if I can catch on to it. <laughs> yeah, the first Listen, season. By, 
episode three or four into season two, you'll be hooked. Yeah. Gotcha. It cool. reminds me a lot of Picard season one, to be honest. The first yeah. season. Ah, okay. Well, I like Picard then. So there you go. Like, Cal, seriously, you will not be able to stop <laughs> at the episode. Like, it's just <laughs> like I've been having to be at work at five in the morning and it's like one thirty. Oh, and man. This episode is going off. And I'm like, no, you can't leave it here. I got to watch this next one. I got to watch this. So I said, I'll watch one more. And maybe they'll tie it off so I can go to bed. And they don't. Uh-huh. They, oh, man. And it just keeps going and going and going. Like, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. It gets a lot deeper. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for that, Kyle. And my um, parting gift for this episode is going to be, and this might surprise Kyle, an Apple TV Plus original. I got an iPhone a while back, so I get one year of Apple TV or Apple Plus, whatever it's called. And there's one show in particular I've been watching and kind of got hooked on. And it has some freaking amazing cliffhangers. Now, the show is pretty good, but I have some problems with it. But the cliffhangers are so freaking good. So the name of the show is For All Mankind. Oh, I love that. Oh, man. So the first episode, you get this view of the moon landing and they just throw a twist in right there that has you like, what the F and F? And you, yes. and you, and you can't stop watching. You can't stop watching. And so then when you stop watching and you get through with the first season, we're doing a Discussing Comics episode on that because I would love to hear you. I, I've been to the first season in like three days. Ah, sweet. <laughs> it is so good. And then they throw another one at another wrench at you like, what? Really? Oh, the, <laughs> they one up this like that? Oh, what? <laughs> I know I sound like a crazy man right now, but it's really, it's, it's good, but it gets slow in some parts, but man, they have the cliffhangers like none other. Oh my God. Thank you guys for your party gifts as well as your ratings and just being gone. You know, I really appreciate it. And guys, if you have feedback, comments, what did we miss in this episode? Let us know. You can send that in at fans at discussingtrek.com or at discussingtrek on any and all social medias. Thank you for joining guys. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. If you're interested in obscure and little-seen sci-fi television, you might enjoy our podcast, Continuum Drag. We're a recap and review podcast watching science fiction TV and TV movies from the 60s to now. We've covered Galactica 1980, Almost Human, The Quester Tapes, Space Above and Beyond, Genesis 2, Tech War, Planet of the Apes, and many more. You can get Continuum Drag wherever you get podcasts. Discussing Network.